Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. How are you all doing? Alhamdulillah. A'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajeem. Bismillahir rahmanir rahim. Wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulihil kareem. Rabbishrah li sadri wa yassir li amri. Wahlul uqdatan min lisani. Yafqahu qawli. Allahumma ahdi qalbi. Wasaddid lisani. Waslul sakhimata qalbi. Amin ya rabbil alameen. So in our previous classes, alhamdulillah, we have looked into a little bit about what exactly hadith is. And today, inshallah, I want to tell you very briefly about what is a sahih hadith, what is a hasan hadith, and what is a da'if hadith. Have you heard of these words, by the way? Sahih hadith, people say this is an authentic hadith. What makes a hadith authentic? Likewise, people say this is a weak hadith. What makes a hadith weak? And then there is the Hassan Hadith. So again, we wonder what exactly is this Hassan Hadith. So inshallah, very briefly, we'll go over these three terms. Let me ask you, what Ahadith does Sahih Bukhari have? How many Ahadith are Sahih in all of them? Right? This is why one of the names is Al-Sahih. Exactly. You call it Sahih Bukhari for a reason. Okay. So... Remember that when it comes to hadith study, there are two aspects of hadith study. One aspect is known as ilmul hadith riwayatan. And the other aspect is known as ilmul hadith dirayatan. So the first one, which is ilmul hadith riwaya, riwaya is narration. So this study of hadith is all about looking at the chain of narration. That is it connected all the way to the Prophet ﷺ or not? And then the people who are narrating the hadith, what kind of people are they? Are they people, you know, that are, whose integrity is good? Are they people that are trustworthy? Are they people whose memory was good? So in terms of their integrity, in terms of their trustworthiness, in terms of their memory, so you look at the narrators also. So this is Ilmul Hadith Riwayah. The focus is the chain. The focus is the Hadith narration. And then there is also Ilmul Hadith Dirayah. Dirayah is knowledge. Have you, you're familiar with the ayah of the Quran, Wama Adraka Malqari'ah, right? Al-Qari'ah, Malqari'ah, Wama Adraka Malqari'ah. So Wama Adraka, Adraka means what could make you know. So Dirayah is knowledge. So Ilm al-Hadith Diraya is basically the aspect of Hadith study in which the focus is on the knowledge which the text conveys. The words of the Prophet ﷺ. What knowledge can we derive from those words? So for example, إِنَّمَا الْأَعْمَالُ بِالنِّيَةِ These are words. What knowledge can we derive from that? That our intentions should always be sincere. If we want our actions to bring us some benefit, then our intentions must be sincere. So then the focus is on the comprehension. So when it comes to the categorization of hadith in terms of weak or authentic, then which aspect of hadith study is this? The first one or the second one? The first one. Because you're looking at the chain. But also, remember, when it comes to the authenticity of hadith, the text is also examined. All right. The text is also examined. You don't just look at the chain. Is it connected all the way to the Prophet ﷺ or not? You also look at the text. That does this text contradict something else that cannot be denied, that cannot be doubted? So both of them are examined. And just a side note, some scholars actually give the exact opposite definitions for these terms. So some scholars will say, Ilmul Hadith Riwayah, 
is the focus on the comprehension. And some will say that it's the focus on narration. So it's just something that you should be familiar with. But in general, these are the two aspects of hadith study. Okay. Now, when it comes to hadith, remember that basically there are two types of hadith. Either a hadith will be accepted. And when it is accepted, it means that you know, you can derive rulings from it, you learn your beliefs from it, you learn about the Prophet ﷺ's life from it, or a hadith is rejected. Why is it rejected? Because it's not authentic, it's not reliable, so you cannot base any religious rulings on it, you cannot derive anything from it about the Prophet ﷺ. So when it comes to accepted hadith, which is maqbul, these are two types of hadith. And these are sahih hadith and Hassan hadith. And a hadith that is rejected, meaning it's not taken, why would it not be taken? Because it is da'if. It is weak. So the accepted maqbul is sahih and hasan, and the rejected mardud is da'if. Alright? Now, what exactly is sahih hadith? Let's look at the first category. Remember that when it comes to a sahih hadith, they're basically Five very important things that we look at. Three conditions must be present and two conditions must not be there. So three conditions must be present and two must not be there. What are the three conditions that must be there? First of all, the chain must be connected. What does it mean by the fact that the chain must be connected? What do you think? Think about it. So when you're looking at a chain of narration, you're looking at different names. So what's understood is that each person directly received the hadith from the one that he is narrating from. Now, how do you know that a chain is connected? When you can establish that the two people actually met, that one was a student, the other was a teacher, for example. They both lived at a time when they must have met or they were in the same city or this person is known to have traveled to the other city and learned from this particular scholar. So the first thing is that the chain must be connected. And this is demonstrated by the language that the narrators use. So for example, you may have heard that a narrator says, حدثنا. حدثنا means so-and-so reported to us. He narrated to us. Or for example, you see the word qala. What does qala mean? He said. Or for instance, you read the word akhbarana. He informed us. So the words that are used by the narrators demonstrate that the narrator actually met the person that he's narrating the hadith from. And that shows that the chain is connected. But then this is not where we stop. We also have to investigate the lives of the narrators to ensure that the two people actually met. So this is how it is established that the chain is connected. The second thing is that the narrators, all of the narrators, must be adl. Adl means that they must be people of integrity. Meaning you have to see, are these people reliable? Are they trustworthy? Are they honest? How is their deen? How is their akhlaq? Do they commit major sins openly, for example? So if there is a stain on someone's deen, on their reputation, then their hadith will not be accepted. The third is, that the narrators must be very, very sharp in their memory. So complete precision of the narrator means that the narrators must not make errors when narrating the hadith. Their memory is good. 
even their manuscript is good, it's free of errors. So these three conditions must be present for all of the narrators of the hadith. The two things that must not be there in a sahih hadith are, first of all, shudud. Shudud is basically when something is strange and peculiar. Now, how could a narration have shudud in it? This is when one of the narrators is contradicting a stronger narrator. So the narrator is contradicting who? A stronger narrator. So for example, in one narration, a detail is mentioned about something that happened in the life of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Alright? And of those details is, for instance, 25 dinar, for example. So this narrator narrates his hadith with which number? 25 dinar. But then there is another narration of the same hadith and that narrator, one of the narrators, the first one, he says that it was 50 dinar. So you see there is a contradiction here. Now whose word do you accept? Whose word do you accept? The one who is more trustworthy, more reliable, his memory is sharper. So that hadith will be taken. And the hadith that has some shudud in it, the narrator had some confusion or the narrator is known to be somewhat weak and that's why the narration is contradicting a stronger narration, then that narration will not be graded as sahih. So it is somewhat subjective because Imam Bukhari was very strict about this. He once traveled really far to learn a hadith directly from a narrator and he saw him deceiving his animal. It was like giving him food and actually trying to trap the animal. And Imam Bukhari left. He didn't take the hadith from him because he didn't like the idea of someone deceiving whoever, anyone. Imam Bukhari, on the other hand, how was his integrity? How was his own integrity? Can you remember any incident from his lifetime? I mentioned to you. Exactly. The one where he was on the ship and he didn't even want that stain on his reputation. And it's amazing. Standards have completely changed today. There could be a person, you know, somebody testifies against them and still they could be promoted to have one of the biggest positions in the world. It's amazing, right? But when it comes to hadith study, if someone has a stain on their reputation, even so much so that they're deceiving an animal, their hadith was not taken. Yeah, so the people of each generation, basically, the people of each generation were very critical of one another. And this is something that we see that the criticism of the narrators was always there. And this is called al-jarh wa ta'adil, the criticism of the narrators. And when it comes to the circumstances of the narrators, there are books and books written on this. So, for example, just in my dad's office, those of you who can go there, you should go and ask him to show you. There's almost a shelf and a half. It's a compendium of basically hadith narrators. Mm -hmm. Pardon? Oh, it's here in the right next to the masjid. It's almost like a library. You can, inshallah, go check. Okay, so, yes, so there should be no shuzus. And secondly, there should be no defect. There should be no defect in the narration also. And remember that, you know, for example, we see a bunch of names connected with the words akhbarana and an and, you know, and we think, oh, it's connected, right? So apparently it seems connected, but the muhaddis knows that, no, these two people never really met, right? So there should be no hidden defect. So these are the five main things about Sahih Hadith. When it comes to Hassan Hadith, when it comes to Hassan Hadith, uh, the conditions are basically the same 
All right. The only difference is the precision of the narrator. Because remember, there are levels of precision. A person was very strong in their memory once upon a time. And as they became older, their memory was not that reliable. So a hadith that the narrated when their memory was really strong will be considered sahih. But if they narrated a hadith when their memory was known to be weak, when they were known to make mistakes, then that hadith would be considered as hasan. So, and otherwise, the conditions are exactly the same. The last one, da'if hadith. Weak hadith, what exactly is that? When it comes to da'if hadith, da'if is basically that which is neither sahih nor is it hasan. So, for example, when you look at the five things, the chain is broken. It's not connected. Or one of the narrators is known to lie. Another narrator is known to make mistakes. So then this means that that narration would be barif. It would be weak. And remember that barif hadith is of many different types, uh, depending on the level of weakness and the type of weakness, and it is named accordingly. So when it comes to barif hadith, there are many, many types of barif hadith. All right, and I, I don't think that we can actually go into the detail of that. It's beyond the scope of this class. But one important question, is it permissible to narrate weak hadith? Is it permissible to narrate weak hadith? If you know that the chain is broken, that means that there is no proof that the Prophet ﷺ actually said it. If you know that one of the narrators is a liar, known to commit major sins, he could be lying about the Prophet ﷺ. So this is a question. Is it permissible to narrate weak hadith? Go ahead. Okay, you have a point. That if there are other narrations which are authentic, which convey the same message basically, then it would be okay. That it would be in a way lying about the Prophet ﷺ. That you're saying the Prophet ﷺ said something, whereas you don't have any proof. The proof that you have is flawed. Okay, you could learn a general good lesson, but then sometimes it can also do more damage than benefit, isn't it? You know, there's so many false things that children are taught or people are taught and they're warned that if you do this sin, then there is this, this punishment. And and that's not true. The Prophet ﷺ didn't actually say that. And then people begin to think that our deen is so harsh. It is so difficult. It's impossible. Yes, it can lead to you know, inventing things in the deen also. So, next slide please. So when it comes to narrating da'if hadith, remember this hadith, the Prophet wasallam said that whoever narrates a hadith from me, knowing it to be false, then he is one of the two liars. So if you know that a hadith is not authentic, then don't narrate it, because then you are one of the two liars. Now, some scholars made an exception. In some places, in some situations, you can narrate as long as you make it known. So the first thing is, you must make it known that there is a weakness in the narration. And sometimes you may have heard about this, that somebody is mentioning a hadith in their lecture and they'll say, even though there is dispute about its authenticity, or for instance, even though this hadith is considered weak, they'll mention this, you have to give that disclaimer. Then the conditions are that firstly, it should be about a targhib wa targhib. Targhib wa targhib is basically a statement that mentions the reward for doing something good or punishment for doing something wrong. So that reward is a means of encouragement. And that punishment is a means of warning. 
So they said in this, if it's a hadith about these matters, then okay. But if it's a narration about salah, then no. If it's a narration about something that will happen on the day of judgment, no. If it's a narration about something that happened in the life of the Prophet wasallam, then no. Then secondly, it should not be extremely weak. Remember, there's levels of weakness. So if, for example, a narrator is known to be a liar, a fabricator, then, I mean, that hadith should not be narrated. Okay, It should not even be called a hadith of the Prophet Thirdly, it should have an asl that is sahih, that is thabit. Meaning, it should have some basis in our religion, which is proven and established. Meaning, it should not be something completely strange that, you know, about which there is no mention in the Quran and Sunnah. So, for example, somebody's invented something about aliens, for instance, and they say it's a hadith. It's fabricated. Or, for example, somebody comes up with something about number 18 or number 19. You know, weird theories and then people portray it as hadith. You know, the first thing is that it's not authentic. But then the other issue is that it doesn't have any basis in our religion. And finally, one should not believe that the Prophet ﷺ actually said it. So you should take it with a big, big, big grain of salt. Okay? Or mention it likewise. And this is something you should be aware of because in many, you know, sometimes you see Someone has narrated a hadith which is weak and you're like, how could they do that? Because that hadith is perhaps about a targhib or tarheeb. And near that particular scholar, it, there's no harm in mentioning weak hadith as long as a disclaimer is given. When it comes to darif, remember there's levels and there's different types. But when it comes to fabricated, it's a lie. It's completely rejected. I mean, there's so many things that are common in people. And they're based on weak hadith. And when you look at the treasure of sahih hadith, that's, uh, you know, unknown to people. Let's begin. So bab number 25, we did the first hadith. The bab is, Bab ajril khadimi ida tasaddaqa bi amri sahibihi ghayra mufsidin. Ajril khadim, the reward of the servant. Ida tasaddaqa, when he gives in charity. When bi amri sahibihi, at the command of the owner. غَيْرَ مُبْسِدٍ Without spoiling it or that which is not spoiled. Meaning the servant also gets reward for giving charity from the wealth of his master or employer. Why does he get the reward? Because he is giving that charity. Even though the wealth was not his, the wealth was whose? The master's or the employer's. But he's giving charity at the command, at the instruction of who? Of the owner of the wealth. And so both will get the reward. The owner of the wealth and the servant also. The person who has been employed to distribute or to give that charity. And this doesn't just mean that it, this is only for the slave or only for the servant or only for the employee. But also if someone gives you some charity, that please give this charity to that poor person. I cannot go there myself. You're traveling to that country or you're going to Makkah, you're going for Umrah, you're going to Al-Huda, you're going to the Masjid. So please put this money on my behalf. So when you will do that, you also get the reward. The owner of that property gets the reward, and you, because you are giving that charity, you will also get the reward, inshallah. So we did the first hadith in this uh, bab. We'll look at the second hadith today, inshallah. حدثنا محمد بن العلاء حدثنا أبو أسامة عن بريد بن عبد الله عن أبي بردة عن أبي موسى عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم 
The Prophet ﷺ, he said, Al-Khazinul Muslimul Ameen. Al-Khazin, the treasurer, Al-Muslim, who is a Muslim, Al-Ameen, who is trustworthy. Al-Ladhi Yunfidhu, the one who carries out, Warubbama Qala, or perhaps he said, Yu'ti, he gives. What does he give? What does he carry out? Ma umirabihi, whatever he was instructed with. How does he carry it out? How does he give it? Kamilan muwaffaran, completely, entirely. Tayyibun bihi nafsuhu, while he was happy with it in his heart. Meaning he did this happily. Fayadfaruhu ila ladi umira lahu bihi, and then he gives it, meaning that charity to the one that he was commanded to give. Then this treasure will be ahadul mutasaddiqeen, he will be one of those who give sadaqah. Meaning he will have a reward similar to the one who gave that sadaqah to him to deliver. Which person? Which person? There are some qualities that are mentioned here in the hadith. First of all, khazin. This person is a khazin. Who is a khazin? Khazin is a treasurer or a custodian. Someone who has been appointed to manage a khizana. What is a khizana? A treasure. A place where things of value are kept. Whether it is a house, a vault, a bank account, some property, trees, garden, farm, whatever it is. So this is who? Khazin. So many times people will hire someone or appoint someone to look after their property. So when this khazin gives charity from that property which he's guarding, why does he give charity? Because he has been asked to by the owner, then this khazin will also get a reward. But which custodian? In the hadith we learn he is Muslim. Because as a Muslim when you do what is right, or when you do things the right way, then you're rewarded for even the mundane actions, even the daily things or even, you know, things that you do for your work. But if you are doing what is right, if you're doing it the right way, then inshallah you are rewarded for that. The next quality is that he is Amin. Amin is that he is trustworthy. He fulfills his trust. He guards the wealth. He does not let it spoil. He does not damage it. He does not neglect it or steal from it. Right? He's trustworthy. And then, الَّذِي يُنْفِذُ He carries out or he gives what he is commanded of. Meaning he does with the property what he is supposed to. So for example, he has been asked to give 5% in charity. He has been asked to give a certain amount out of that in charity. Right? So he actually gives that where he is supposed to. Because you see, there are people who are very trustworthy. They won't cheat, but they'll be lazy at times. So for example, somebody asks you, you know, let's say it's Ramadan, somebody gives you money, that please give this in the masjid for me. You say, okay, you're trustworthy, you're not going to go spend it somewhere, you're not going to lose it, you're going to guard it, it's safe in your bag. But then what happens? You delay putting it in the masjid box. And then one day after the other goes, and then the next thing you know, it's Eid. You understand what happened? So it's not that you cheated them, It's not that you stole from it, but what happened? You didn't carry it out at the right time. You didn't give it at the right time. You delayed it. You understand? So here what is mentioned is that الَّذِي يُنْفِذُ He carries out what he's supposed to. He gives what he is supposed to. 
when and to who and how he does his job properly. And then he gives how kamilan muwafalan. He gives fully and perfectly without lack or defect. Meaning whatever was given to the poor reaches the poor. All right. He gives it completely. He doesn't say, okay, let me take a share out of it for myself also. And the final thing is that he gives it how? Happily, not begrudgingly or not with jealousy. Because sometimes it happens that we're, yes, we're, you know, giving the sadaqah, but then we're irritated or we're angry that this is a waste of my time. Or we're jealous. For example, your mom says, okay, take all these things for donation and you have to make the delivery. And you're becoming upset that she's giving so much away. What about me? All right, this is not tayyibun bihi nafsuhu. You have to do it happily. So when all of these conditions are met, then what will happen? What will happen? Then the treasurer, the custodian will also get the same reward. As who? As the person who is giving the charity. Because the hadith says he is ahadul mutasaddiqin. He's one of those who are giving charity. Anything you'd like to add here? What do you learn from this hadith for yourself? That's the thing. It seems easy, but there are conditions, right? Because sometimes we are delivering that charity or we are making that donation. Like somebody says, can you please make the donation with your credit card? I don't have one, for example. And then you're thinking, why do they always have to ask me? So this is not tayyibun bihi nafsuhu. So you have to check yourself at all of these levels. That it's not just about being trustworthy. It's about carrying it out at the right time. And it's also about doing it happily and giving it fully. But this doesn't mean that you don't give anything yourself. Of course, you should give charity yourself also. But if you are, uh, you know, the means for someone to deliver their charity, then that is also a privilege. Right? This is of the favors of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay.